Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. The text that we just read is a lot like the text we read last week in the sense that many of us have heard it preached on and have read it and have seen skits enacted about it in Sunday school, so we're pretty used to this passage. And a lot of times when we read texts like these, we just kind of go into a fog in our minds because we already know what it's saying. But let's take a close look, try to keep our minds open and see what is going on here in the Gospel of Luke. Well, a couple of weeks ago, Jim kind of, he opened what's known as the travel narrative in Luke's gospel. The travel narrative is from chapter 9 to 19. Those 10 chapters, Jesus says that he has set his face towards Jerusalem, that he is going to the cross to fulfill his vocation for you and me. And a lot has happened along the way. And here, we're still in chapter 10, so we're pretty much at the beginning of Jesus's journey through to Jerusalem. And along the way, we see that he encounters a village where this woman, Martha, welcomes him into her home. Now, this is not very much of a surprise. Ancient Near East cultures, particularly around the Mediterranean, they had many values, but one of their chief values was to show hospitality and good hospitality. If you are paying attention at all during the Old Testament reading, you'll see that Martha is doing nothing differently than what Abraham was doing. Abraham sees these three men wandering in the heat of the day. He welcomes them into his home, and he provides a meal for them. Martha is doing the exact same thing. This is a good thing. This is what is expected of her. If she were not to do this, or not to do this well, it would not only bring shame upon her, but it would bring shame upon the entire village. This is a communal culture. Hospitality is one of its chief virtues. She is showing good hospitality. In a word, she's doing what she's supposed to be doing. She's doing a good thing. As she's going, presumably, to prepare the meal. She has no help. And when she looks in the other room, she sees that Mary is seated at the foot of Jesus. Mary is doing nothing. Mary is not contributing to the hospitality that they need to provide. In fact, Mary is doing something that many biblical scholars say is subversive by putting herself at the feet of Jesus and by listening to a rabbi, she is putting herself in the position of a disciple. And at this time, women were not disciples of rabbis. That just didn't happen. So not only is Mary not participating in that chief virtue of this culture, but she is doing something she's not supposed to be doing. So Martha, well within her rights, comes into the room, blows Mary's spot in front of everyone, and says, Lord, 
Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And you can imagine the hearers, probably the men around Jesus, were like, it's about time somebody intervened. But you can also imagine them saying, well, you know, Martha is doing the right thing here. But our Lord, once again, surprises us. Our Lord, once again, is subversive. He chastises Martha. But he chastises her gently. What does he say? Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. So Mary, who has put herself in the position of the disciple, is praised, and Martha, doing her everyday chores, doing the right thing, is chastised. We see to have a sort of upside-down thing going on here. Now, I think that the subversive message of this text for people like you and me living today might be the fact that we live in a city, I might even say a country, but we talk about in New York quite a bit, that if we had a chief value, what would it be? And I think that it might just be busyness. I used to be able to ask people, hi, how are you? And they would answer with words like fine or good. But more often than not now, I get the response, I'm really busy. And while for some people that is kind of an acknowledgement that they feel overwhelmed or something like that, most of the time, at least when I use it, it's kind of like a brag. I find worth in being productive. I find value in having my to-do list absolutely filled. I think that there are a whole lot of Marthas in these pews and in this pulpit here today. And Jesus' word to us is that we are worried and distracted by many things. Only notice, the things that we're worried and distracted about are not, it's, it's not sin. Martha's doing what she's supposed to be doing. She's not participating in some gray area. It's like, well, maybe that's not so good. Maybe it's like unethical but legal. No. Martha is doing the right thing. And sometimes the right things get in the way between us and God. Sometimes the right thing is what causes worry and distraction from the one thing needful. Gone are the days of the protagonists in those Jane Austen novels. You remember them. They kind of gloried in their idleness. The others, well, they had to work to earn their livings, to to be able to stay alive, but we don't have to work. Today, keeping up with the Joneses means having a fuller to-do list than everyone else. 
completely inverted. And I think that that is especially true for people like you and me who find our sense of worth, who feel enough because we are doing things, because we are accomplishing much. Again, good things. Sometimes things that we even just have to do. But sometimes it's the good things that veer our focus off of the one thing needful. So what do we do about this? How do we change ourselves? How do we have a merry heart in a Martha world? Six years ago, I preached a sermon on this very text, and I told the people in those poor pews that the answer to the problem is to engage in Christian contemplative practices regularly and habitually. And those things are all very good. I really don't want to come across as knocking them. In fact, the Jesus prayer has been, I am one of the most anxious people on the earth. Jake is, looks like he's more anxious than me because Jake wears it outside, but I wear it on the inside so you can't see it. I hide it very well, except from the people who know me the most. But those practices, they really did help me. And I have uh, my subscription to that Headspace app, and I I use it not as religiously as I'd like, but quite a bit. Again, these are good things. They've been good for my anxiety, and I think that the Jesus prayer in particular has been good for my relationship with Christ. But these good things have not created a merry heart in me. I am a slave to the Martha-style rat race all around me. So I'm here today to make amends for that last sermon by saying that I'm not giving you another thing to do, another thing to put on your to-do list, another thing to make you busier, even though, as I said earlier, those things can be very helpful. I think that the gospel makes clear that we need something stronger than something that we do. Something stronger than good things that we do that are for our own health. We need a power from outside of us to make a way where there seems to be no way. We need the very kingdom of God himself, the one thing needful to birth in us that which we do not have. And the reason I say that is that I remember, distinctly remember, after shaking hands at the end of that sermon six years ago, I remember leaving the church, and about 45 seconds or so after I left, I felt depressed. And I am... I'm fairly disciplined. I knew that, you know, if I really commit to 20 minutes a day doing this prayer, I'll probably just skip once a week. But I knew that this was not going to work. Again, a good thing. I'm not telling you to throw these practices off. But this good thing was not going to create what was lacking in me. 
He was not going to give me a merry heart. So if there's one thing for you to do, that is to look to the one who consistently makes a way where there seems to be none. To hear the word of God preached, to eat of the body and the blood, to be fed from outside of us, to birth within us that which we lack. This same God who made a way out of no way at the cross is making a way out of no way in you and me here and now. So come, Lord Jesus, and make that way. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.